This week, we're going to look at something which is quite pertinent to all of us, irrespective of where you are on the journey of being a consultant, a trainer, a coach. It's revenue. Where are your sources of revenue as a consultant, as a trainer, as a coach? What are they? And I've identified 10 of them. And this week, we're going to focus on those 10. And I've divided them into two parts. One are active sources of revenue. And the second are five passive sources of revenue. So 10 sources of revenue in total. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark, and it's my pleasure every single Thursday without fail to bring you an episode which is designed to help you wherever you are on that journey, whether you're starting as a trainer, a coach, a consultant, a facilitator, or whether you're well-established. Now, some of you listening to this will be thinking of making the leap from paid work as an employee to selling your own expertise in the form of programs, workshops, whether it's online, offline, whether it's on-site working with groups or one-to-one, whatever that is for you. If this is something that sounds like you, if you're someone like me who sells her or his expertise to paying customers, then you're in the right place because every Thursday we have an episode of this show, the Training Business Podcast, designed to help you wherever you are on that journey. And for this reason, we have guests on the show who talk about something along the lines of branding or licensing or something like how they've developed their business from scratch. Some of the people we've had on the show have been authors. They've been people who run events. And all of this is what makes this a great show. And it's often linked to the feedback that you give me. If you've got ideas for the show, you can drop me a line anytime by emailing me to mark at trainingbusiness.com. You'll find all episodes of the show on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or something else. And of course, you'll find all episodes on trainingbusiness.com. Now, before the music, I mentioned that this week we're going to look at sources of revenue, and there are arguably 10 main ones which you can avail of as a consultant, again, as a trainer, as a coach. And when I'm thinking of these, I realize that there are some I'm not yet exploiting. So let's look at these together. There are effectively 10 on my list today. There are five what I call active sources of revenue and five passive sources of revenue. So we're going to go through these individually. I'm going to give you examples as best I can. And I want to end then the episode with some questions for you to ask yourself. So the first one today is per hour billing. Now this is where most of us start. We typically will sell our time for money. So for example, you will deliver a program and you could be on site on your or at your client's venue and you're delivering that training in the classroom or in the office in some kind of conference room and in exchange for your half day or your full day or your hours you are charging per hour. Now, you might decide to price the program based upon a fixed number of hours. So, for example, it could be, let's say, a four-hour program or a half-day workshop or a two-day 
workshop, and you will price that based upon the number of hours that you are on your uh, or at your client's premises. And that often is the case. Most of us think, for example, as coaches, that I will bill per hour. I will deliver some coaching one-to-one or one-to-many, and I will charge X amount per hour. That's the first option. So perhaps that's something you do. I do this for sure. It's one of the primary sources of revenue for me. It's calculating how much time I'm spending with a client and billing per hour. So for example, I might have a one and a half hour workshop and that's therefore 1.5 times my per hour rate and that's what I charge the client. Now, let's say there are three parts to that workshop delivered over three days and I've seen this happen since COVID. People are reluctant now to spend a whole day Um, with me or with my peers in the training business, they now want that light touch, small micro amounts of training. So you might find there are three 90-minute sessions in a program. That's typically how I would deliver some of the sales training, which I offer. It'll be three 90-minute sessions in one week, perhaps a Monday, then a Thursday and a Wednesday, or Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and 1.5 hours times my hourly rate times three for the number of days which I'm running, and that's then the price for that workshop. The second is performance-based contracts. This is a bit more complex. This is where you might say, um, we will ask for a share of the revenue based upon the performance of the people following that training. Now, not every kind of training lends itself to this approach. But let's say you're developing training in my world, for example, sales training, and you'll say, um, we will price it here, but in exchange for uh, this particular price, we would like to also have 10% of the uplift or the increase in performance. Now, that not all training can be measured this way, but if you're successful and you can highlight the metrics or the measurements of where people are right now, based upon where you think they will be, you can offer to price this on a performance-only contract, that's a bit risky, where you only get paid if people actually reach a particular level of competency or performance. In fact, it's very risky. Or there could be, if you've scoped this well, a lot of upside, where if people make a 10% improvement, and let's say the payoff to the business is a million dollars or pounds, you get 10% of that uplift, which could be, mathematically speaking, 10% of that measured uplift, which could be 100,000 pounds. Now, this is, of course, quite difficult to prove. You really want to know and be able to articulate the business case. You've got to really be proficient at running um, measurements, some kind of needs analysis, some kind of Um, let's call it tool, which highlights exactly where people are and then contrasts that with the increase in performance where they are after training. If you can do this well, you can make lots of money. I know a handful of people who do this extremely well, but they've been running their programs for years. It isn't easy. It's quite risky, but can be quite lucrative if you know what you're doing. Again, this is typically in something like management consulting, where Um, A group of people is brought in to turn around a business unit. Let's say you uh, do some kind of HR consulting and training. And based upon that increase in performance, you get X percent of that measurable uplift 
or in my world, sales training, again, you'll um, measure the performance of the team as they are right now. You will link to then the expected performance increase that you expect to see. And if you can reach that, then 10% of the uplift or the increase in performance is then your cut of that deal. Now, again, I hasten to say it is quite risky. You really want to know what you're doing here and be experienced. So not the kind of thing you'll start off with unless you're extremely confident in your ability to reach a performance level which is expected by your client. Number three is fixed price. This is when you might say, okay, rather than per hour, um, we're going to offer this training or this workshop for X amount. Now, if we go over that time, we'll, we'll take the hit. You might do that because this often is a loss leader. You might say, well, you know, we'll offer this program to your company. We'll run this as a, a proof of concept, and that's the fixed price. Now, if you've got 10 people coming or 15 people or 20 people, it's still the same price. So this might be useful when you want to prove that something works. You're not charging per head. Some companies, some trainers charge per attendee. So if you've got 15 people, then it's 15 times the price of one person attending. Um, I can see why you do this, because if you charge for every person that comes you might just find that you don't have enough people. On the other hand, if you don't stipulate how many people maximum are allowed in a training, you end up with a room full of sardines. Everyone's crammed in. I've had this a couple of times, particularly in the public sector. They're so anxious to uh, pay the least that they can because they're quite competitive bids. You end up with, say, 15 or 20 people in a training which is only intended for, I don't know, eight people or, or less or fewer. So there are two ends to this. Fixed price is great when you're really clear on the number of people involved maximum, and you can quite confidently say that it will not increase your, your costs by or your variable costs by having more people attend that training. So it's up to you. Um, most of the time, I'm quite flexible about the number of people in a training session, but if it's too many, then it becomes more admin work, you know, more invitations to send out. And if you're running this and you're paying um, a contractor to run this on your behalf or you're using a VA to organize it, that's more overhead for them or, and, of course, more cost to you. So you have to think about fixed price. Is that something you want to do? You charge a flat rate per training session and irrespective of the number of people who attend or the length of that training session, that's the price. I wouldn't do that, but you might do that to get the ball rolling, to get some initial testimonials and some early customers. Option four then is retainers. This is something I'm doing right now. It does take a while to get to. It takes a lot of trust with your client to feel that they're willing to pay you a monthly fee and then decide after that what training they want you to deliver. So for example, you might sell, let's say uh, every month you sell 5,000 or $4,000 or pounds or euros worth of training, and that goes on for six months or 12 months. Now, after that, then your client will say to you, well, this month we need X program or a Y program or this workshop, and you kind of work out on a month-per-month -month basis what they need from you. 
This is great for you because it guarantees income. And if you can get to this level, then it's money in the bank every single month without fail. You have that client paying you almost like a salary to do work on their behalf and they trust you. So rather than saying, well, we only need you this month or this week for this thing, they're saying to you, we're going to pay you every single month and we'll work out the detail where we need you, when we need you. Now, you have to be flexible. And this is what I've learned doing mine right now. As long as you're willing to carry forward hours and realize that sometimes companies will have away days or events or holidays and you allow them then to bank those unused hours and carry them forward. And this is where, of course, you know, running Excel spreadsheets is very useful because you can track which hours are being used and which people are taking advantage of those hours. And I mean that in a positive way, taking advantage. The only drawback is that sometimes your client might say to you, well, we didn't get so much value this month because there weren't so many training sessions. So you might have to do some work here to actually chase, pursue, uh, engage with the the people on your client side to remind them that they have paid for this training, it needs to be used. So I found myself doing a lot more emailing, reminding managers that they should be sending people to training and uh, feeding back when people haven't attended training. What you don't want is someone to say to you at the end of six months or a year, well, that didn't work out. We're not going to renew the retainer. You really want retainers and you want them to be renewed. So it's important that you show that they are working. Otherwise, you slip back into uh, fixed price, or I should say per hour billing. And that's um, that's not good because what you really want is that consistent, reliable stream of what we call monthly recurring revenue, MRR. And that's the holy grail. You want that at least one, ideally just one, or at least one client paying you on a retainer basis. I'm looking for more. It does take time to get there, but if you can do it, it's it, it really is peace of mind. You've got that confidence that you've got people paying you on a regular basis as if you were a part of that business. And it's really a sign of trust when you can achieve that, at least one retainer. The fifth one then, and this is the first half of today, the fifth one in terms of your active income streams might be events. Some people run this very successfully. I'm thinking of Yota Trum, a previous guest, who runs events and charges on a particular basis. Now, this could be run online. For example, you've got your own events. There's lots of software out there that you can avail of, which allows you to build, market, and uh, generate revenue from an online event. You could have multiple people come in under your umbrella and deliver training or coaching or some kind of um, sharing of expertise for that or during that event. And this can be quite lucrative because you actually want high numbers here. Unlike, let's say, uh, fixed price training or workshops, in events, you really want a large number of people because there's more of a buzz. Um, You get an email list from that event. You get high profile media from that event. You can take pictures or videos. And it's something which lends itself well to a couple of passive income streams, which we'll come to uh, in a moment. So at some point, you might want to run an event. It's not perhaps something you will do in the early days. You might actually go to other people's events. I had a couple of guests on not so long ago. Florian Muck, for example, was one of the guests on the show about six or seven episodes ago, talking about how he has 
teamed up with other trainers and they have their own event every single year, notwithstanding COVID, of course, but every single year in Berlin. And they bring people to that event and they charge a ticket price for that event. It's not cheap, but uh, it's great fun. And a lot of trainers love these because they can either piggyback on other people's events and earn uh, some money from it, or they just do it for free to be able to get their profile and their face on front of other customers. So that's something you might look at. And when the time comes, you could create your own event on your own or in conjunction with other experts. And this is what, of course, many top people do. They go on to uh, deliver keynotes at conferences. They either run their own events, which can be quite costly, or they could maybe take part in other people's events, be invited to those events as a speaker for some reason. And I've done quite a few of these. I've worked with some PR companies to be invited as a keynote speaker for a company event or some kind of public event. And it is not always the best money, but it can be a great way of getting yourself noticed. And it also allows you to have conversations post-event with people who might have questions about your content or about your model or about your framework or your IP or your brand and so on and on. I've never come away from an event without at least some kind of introduction or idea or even some, uh, let's say, lead where someone says, I loved what you did. Uh, maybe you could run something like this for my team. And many people will tell you that. And Trevor Reagan, of course, a guest I had on a year and a half ago, he's synonymous with uh, the concept of train ugly. Trevor Reagan is a growth mindset expert, and uh, he began by delivering talks at other people's events. People from the corporate um, landscape saw his events and said, would you like to come and deliver this to our company? He did, and he's now got very high-profile corporate clients. So that's another thing you might think of. Either it's something you'll not earn money from eventually, but you might eventually have some kind of income stream from being paid to deliver at other people's events, or you could actually, in some in some point or at some point, deliver your own events in return for a ticket fee. Can be very expensive, complex to run, but that's something I'm looking to do. Uh, perhaps towards the end of next year, I'll let you know how that goes and what my thoughts and plans are. Okay, so that's five so far per hour billing, performance-based contracts, fixed price retainers, and events. All of these five are what we call active income streams. So. Now let's look at some passive ideas. And this is, I would say, where I have not so much experience as I have in the former. I'm sharing this with you now because some of this is a work in progress. The first one is memberships. This is not something I'm doing, I'm doing right now, but I will be doing in 2023. This is where you have a community, a paid community, and using a platform like circle.so, Michael Fern, who is an expert in using Lego for what we call serious play. It's a facilitation methodology where you use Lego bricks, you know, Lego, the, the, the toy from Denmark, those building bricks. And he uses this with uh, companies helping them to unblock their thinking and develop uh, ideas. And Michael Fern, of course, is the author of a book all about using Lego in terms of serious play. He has a community using circle.so. Some people say it's much better than Facebook groups. 
And this, of course, allows you to create all of this wonderful content, let's say videos and PDFs and things that people can access in return for a monthly fee. What is that fee? Mm, it varies. It could be something as high as $97 or something like $47. It usually is something around the $45, $37, $47.97 mark, in my experience. Um, there are some people who charge higher numbers here, but remember if the access price is too high, you don't have that mass appeal. So I'm not the expert in memberships, but I'm talking to people who are, and I might have someone on the guest or as a guest on the podcast uh, in the next couple of months, specifically on how you can build a membership. And often this is actually what people want, because once you've delivered training to them, they want more. They like what you've done and they don't want to say goodbye. They want that extra bit. They want access to you. It could be something live. Some people I know have office hours in their community where every Friday, for example, they have access to that person. Or it's uh, what we call asynchronous, where there's something that the you might, for example, record and make available then through the membership um, platform to your community, to your followers, the people who like you. And you can, of course, promote this on platforms like LinkedIn and generate people who then come and join up. Some people create cohorts, which means that you have, you intake, let's say, 20, 30, 40 people. And for uh, that period, they are all working together. That's a great way to build community, to get then people into that continual stream. Now, not everyone will stick around. Many communities will tell you that they lose members after a, a period of time because the content is stale or it isn't just as much fun or something else captures their attention and draws them away. But that's something that I see increasingly online. Many people promote their books, promote their IP, and they do so to then attract people into that closed community. And in return, those people get that expertise from that person on a regular basis. And what you get from that is that monthly recurring revenue of membership, passive income at its best. People paying, you you create this content once, uh, you make updates to it. But ge generally speaking, that content is evergreen, as we call it. It's evergreen, which means it never expires. And people pay for access to that. You don't have to be there, but they want access to that. And 24-7, people are joining that community and paying for that community access. The next one is licensing. This is where you've written something, you've recorded something, you've designed something. It is, legally speaking, your intellectual property. I've just written a book called Sales Coaching Essentials. It took two and a half years to write. It's now on Amazon. It's not It's not the bestseller. It will be a year from now because it needs a lot of marketing and promotion, and I'll need to be on podcasts and radio shows and things to promote it. But still, it is done. It's, it's an IP. It, it's some kind of intellectual property which I can then use for licensing. So I can, from this, derive other products. And people might say, can we take an excerpt from that book and use it for X purpose, whatever that thing is. So you can create IP, perhaps a, some kind of PDF, some kind of checklist, some kind of um, document or guide, which people then pay for, or other brands want to use as part of their uh, IP or their offering to their community. So a very simple example might be, let's say you have a learning framework that suits a particular kind of company. So that 
is the way that that com- that company will then use your model to onboard staff, to hire them, to train them. And in effect, they're paying for the right, the legal right to use that uh, by themselves. It's not something you're there for or present to deliver, but they're paying for the right to use it with your permission. Now, of course, what often happens is that people use things without your permission. That does happen. So you have to be vigilant about where your content is produced and what it's licensed for, because sometimes people misuse your content. It does happen. I had an interview with an expert on intellectual property about two years ago, in fact, now, and that was one of the first episodes in 2019. I will have someone on the show very soon again to talk about intellectual property. She is someone who works in the area of trademarks and copyright law, and I think that's something that is really relevant to you if you are someone who, just like me, intends to keep on writing things, designing things, and then thinking of licensing those things for a passive income stream. What else can you think of? I'm sure there are things right now that they're in your mind, and once you pull them out of your mind, put them down on paper, create some kind of video course with them, or a book or guide, that's that's IP right there. That is IP. It's legally yours, and it's up to you to figure out ways to monetize this, find a market for it, and earn money from it, not just from you, but from other people using that IP. The next one today is subscriptions. This is where you might, for example, have an LMS. You might have a learning management system, and your content is available through that. I know plenty of trainers who do this, actually. They create a module, and they then uh, provide this to another company, and that company puts this on their LMS. Or maybe you've got some kind of portal and that is a back end on your website, and then people subscribe to that. It's not like a membership in the sense that memberships are often communities. This could be where uh, an individual or a company subscribes through your platform for access to your courses. There are memberships without courses, so memberships by definition are a community where people really want access to other people in the community to learn from peers in that community. Subscriptions are where people typically just want access to the content. You do have subscriptions within memberships, but subscriptions by definition are really paid uh, routes or access routes to your content only. That again could be through your portal. Plenty of us have a part of our website where people have a username and password and they can then access your university. For example, Grant Cardone, the famous sales trainer, was one of my guests back in 2020, and he has a university. He calls it a university, and all his programs are available on that um, domain. And a couple of trainers I've had as well um, have their own universities where they create their content, and companies and individuals pay to subscribe, rather they subscribe to access that content, whether it's on your portal or whether it's on someone else's a learning management system. And this is quite lucrative, in fact, because what many businesses want is content for their employees. So therefore, you could provide uh, access to your content and license this or provide it to a company and all the employees. So LinkedIn Learning is a classic example of a subscription model. LinkedIn Learning is, of course, the learning platform for LinkedIn. I've interviewed at least 10, maybe 12 LinkedIn learning instructors uh, over the past four years. 
and they make a lot of money from providing their content through a third-party learning management system, which in this instance happens to be LinkedIn Learning. And that, of course, is high profile. And that's something I might look at in the near future. How do you actually get to be a LinkedIn Learning instructor? Let's uh, see how that goes. That's a future episode for sure. The next one is royalties. This is kind of like licensing. Royalties often, when I think of royalties, I might think of pure sales of, let's say, a copy. So for example, if I'm selling on LinkedIn, sorry, if I'm selling on Amazon or Book Depository or selling my book on um, any number of platforms, uh, Eason's in Ireland or O'Mahony's, there's a range of local bookstores, I will get, um, you know, money from those book sales. So that's a classic example of royalties. Um, the right to reproduce my content. Another example is a podcast episode. If I record a series of podcasts, I could earn royalties from those being played on other platforms. Patreon is an example. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon, is um, a royalties model where you can earn uh, royalties through people accessing your special podcast episodes or your special trainings, whatever that is. And some people actually hold back their their top stuff. They market their ordinary content and they have special uh, levels of content for paying customers. And you can get royalties through making that available through platforms like Patreon. So, you, for example, you might choose to uh, provide um, for elite customers special access to you, but you do so through a platform like Patreon. You've got special events, all that kind of thing. There actually is a blurring between some of these, and sometimes I confuse myself, but in most people's eyes, when someone plays your music on air, for example, your podcast on air, or reads something out from your book, let's say, as an audio book or a physical book, that's an example of royalties. So, for example, to to make this really practical, I will be recording or asking someone to record an audiobook version of my physical book in November this year. And that's something that um, will generate another income stream. People will play it. It might be uh, hived off into different libraries um, for access to those subscribers for that third-party library. And I will get revenues or rather loyalty royalties from people subscribing to that platform. The last one today then is sponsorships. This is something I'm definitely looking at through, by virtue of the podcast, the listenership is going really up and up right now, which is great. So there might be at some point some sponsorship. I'm not thrilled with ads. I don't like ads at the beginning of things, but there could be some way to, for example, show, um, let's say an ad on trainingbusiness.com. And when people, um, subscribe to something, I get some kind of revenue from that, as long as that offer is relevant to you in the community. And often ads on websites or ads on in, in, in content, that's an example of sponsorship because there is a listenership and companies want to be associated with that listenership. For example, the Training Business Podcast, and therefore they want that, that company wants to put an offer in front of you I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm working with teachable.com. I might have some agreement with Teachable and they will say, we'll sponsor an episode of the podcast or we'll sponsor um, 
this webinar or will sponsor some some kind of event physically where I have an event next year in 2023. People come to that and there are people who want to advertise. They might put things on the table if it's a physical on-site event. And that is quite lucrative. But of course, the numbers, sh- numbers have to ha- be really high. Companies like uh, the big brands out there will only get involved when you have an adequate or sufficient number of listeners, number of attendees, number of people on your program or your learning, your webinar, etc. So that's almost the high end. If you have a large number of followers, people who like your content, they want to come along to the event, that might be sufficient reason to approach a company and say, I've got all these people attending, or I've got these listeners. Um, would you like to sponsor my event? And I mentioned Yota Trom uh, a few moments ago. She's done this quite successfully. She has a women in tech conference. Um, she is a trainer and a coach, and she has uh, income streams from that where people, you know, companies want to sponsor that event and they want to put their hoarding or their a brand name up in the public view. And this works very well when you've got some kind of public event, some kind of, um, you know, conference or keynote. And that's often how those keynotes or conferences are financed. It's because other companies want to be associated with that event and uh, get their branding in front of your community, your people, your followers. So that's 10 different sources. The first five were We'll call them active sources of revenue per hour billing, performance-based contracts, fixed price work, uh, retainers, you know, three months, six months, 12 months, events where you're on site. Think of them like retreats, uh, workshops, offsites, that kind of thing. Then five, uh, we'll call them passive sources of revenue, memberships, where you've got some kind of community, licensing, where you've got your IP in different forms, royalties from sales of things like your books, your works. Uh, subscriptions where people will pay for access through an LMS or a portal, for example, and sponsorships when people want to get their brand in front of your followers, your listeners, your readers, uh, your delegates. And that's it. That's the 10 today. So a couple of questions to ask yourself and some things to think about. The more active that you are, the more it involves you, the more time it consumes. So have you programs right now where you're your team and you have to be live. Have you got workshops or, or programs right now where you have to be live? The thing is, there's only so much time in your calendar. And I guess the older you get like me, you realize um, you, you want to be doing other things. So the more experienced you are, maybe there's a reason, as I've just done, to put your expertise into some format which develops passive income revenue. Because when you're younger, I guess you've got energy or outside of COVID, you have the liberty to travel. But of course, as COVID has shown us, things have changed. We now live in a hybrid world where people are not able to host you on their premises or they're not willing to pay you to travel like many of my clients were before COVID. So you have to come up with something which is you but uh, is also economically viable. It's effective. Maybe your clients don't want to pay you anymore for a full eight hours. They want, you know, small training sessions, short breaks, uh, more micro learning or short learning programs. So what is that rate for you? How can you justify focusing on that? How much do you have to have uh, at a minimum to justify that model? 
But the more passive your income streams, the more you have to do up front. In other words, you have to create that book. It took me two and a half years to write mine. And therefore, you have to put the work in in advance so you have that finished thing, which you can then license. Uh, you can then uh, create different products from or repurpose that into different subcategories. So there are pros and cons to both. I think more active is more fun because it's live. You get more interaction with people. It's more invigorating, I find. But also there is a, a downside to that, which is the more you do, the more you are exposed. If something like COVID affects your business model or you can't travel or you can't work, you're ill, etc. The more passive, uh, that means you've got income coming in without you being there. But of course, you have to create that IP, the, those products, those programs up front before you can sell them. Or you could, as I said in last week's episode, think of ways to pre-sell and get the feedback from people who might be interested and then use that to shape that finished product. So a couple of questions for you before we wrap up today. Um, first of all, how can you better scope work? How can you better scope your work to figure out which is best for you? Two, how can you better measure ROI? Because you have to generate return on investment for your clients, and that will often dictate if you can actually offer something like performance-based contracts or fixed-price work. Um, how can you maximize your per hour? Maybe it makes more sense to limit access to you. That's what you charge most for. But your products, your pre-made, pre-created products, that's the stuff that you don't charge um, the heavy money for. That's almost appealing to the masses. Um, and maybe you've got a book. Maybe you've got books or ideas for books or eBooks or some kind of video series that you can change or transform into IP, which you can license and market through other people's platforms. And that's something, again, I'm looking at next year. LinkedIn Learning is a classic example of that. Have you an event in mind that you can start, run, or take part in other people's events, of course? Have you content that you're willing to license right now? Have you got some framework model, some methodology, which you could, without much work, uh, create trademark copyright even, and that's something, again, we'll approach in a different episode, and use that to generate income. And most importantly, have you thought about the risk to your business model if you're too much in one of these areas? Are you too exposed to passive or too exposed to active? You ideally need at least two, maybe three, to ensure that you are diversified because that, of course, reduces the amount of risk. So thanks for your time today. Um, today we covered lots. In fact, it was a long episode. We looked at five sources of what we call passive revenue streams per hour billing, performance-based contracts, fixed price work, retainers, events, and five, we'll call them passive streams, memberships, licensing, subscriptions, royalties, and sponsorships. The more active you are, the more you'll take the first five as your source of revenue. The more passive you want to be, the more you might lean into the subsequent five, which I mentioned. And I mentioned also a couple of questions to think about to help to steer you in terms of which direction you want to go. So that's it. Uh, there is, of course, another episode of the podcast next Thursday on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe. It costs absolutely nothing. It takes a couple of moments. And please share this with other people in your community. If you know other trainers, people who are currently trainers or thinking of joining the rest of us in the training, coaching, facilitation space, then please let them know and check out today's episode on trainingbusiness.com. Until next Thursday, keep going, keep selling, keep training. Bye for now. 
once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.